52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health. Because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective, and knowledge. You'll find that and more here on the HealthAbility Project. Hi, welcome to the HealthAbility Project. I'm Robin McKenna. There are a lot of things that affect our overall health and well-being, and probably none is more important than our connection with others. Humans are hardwired for connection. We need to feel a sense of closeness, a sense of belonging, and we need to feel supported. The absence of connection can adversely affect our overall health and well-being. Think of pandemic. Millions of us were abruptly sent into isolation for an elongated period of time. How did it affect us or those around us? Here to share his very personal story about how connection impacted his overall health and well-being is Rick Gabrielli. Rick is a passionate husband, father, coach, author, podcaster, and American wellness entrepreneur. His limitless enthusiasm, love of technology, and exploration of energy medicine inspires and motivates others. By choosing love over fear, Rick creates an environment of high vibration, light-filled possibilities to help others uncover, cultivate, and celebrate their own unique gifts, as well as the gifts in those around them. Rick is the COO and visionary of Scarsdale Dental Spa and Wellness for the past 27 years. He and his wife, Carol, are independent distributors and group leaders for Beamer Group USA and co-authors of The Currency of Connection. Rick is in regional leadership with Master Networks and is a speaker, author, educator, and the co-host of the runaway hit podcast, The Road Ahead Cafe. Thanks so much for being with us today, Rick. Thank you for having me, Robin. Wow. Very, uh, very nice introduction. I'm honored to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I thought it was important to set a narrative for our listeners so that they could understand the importance of each of the topics as it relates to our overall health and well-being. Well, you know, I think that connection is important. And I found out in my own life that it was life-saving. And so, uh, you know, I'm happy to share the experience in particular, when I was 19, uh, it was after my freshman year of college, my father died suddenly. I lost my way, uh, you know, to say it lightly. I, I, my GPS was gone and I found myself really looking for direction and, and uh, kind of got lost. And then I had an interesting experience after about four years of addiction and, you know, just being on the wrong path in life. My high school biology teacher wrote me a letter. His name is Noel Haskell. And he wrote me a letter. And and when I opened that letter, something changed. A switch flipped in my mind and my heart on that particular day. And it kind of set me on a path to uh, where I am today. So it seems like you, you had this connection with your dad, a very deep connection. And that unfortunately was broken. And as a result of it, you connected with people who could not have been worse for you, but in some odd way, you you felt a sense of belonging or a sense of support, or or maybe it was just that you were 
trying to avoid the reality of, of being disconnected from your father. Yeah, you know, um, my, my dad was like my hero. He was everything to me, my best friend. I trusted him. I'm the youngest of three kids from a New York Italian family. So, you know, he kind of figured it out by the time I got around to him. And uh, it was just all gone in, in like one second. You know, he, he died suddenly. So it was, uh, it was very difficult. And then, oddly enough, I find another community of, uh, you know, people who are basically self-destructive. But like you said, uh, in a strange way, it was a community. So sometimes we find momentum and connection even in the wrong places. Mm, that's true. That's very true. So tell us what this teacher did for you, this mentor in your life. Well, what was interesting was that he was my biology teacher in ninth grade, and I was just fooling around so much in the class. And he was a family friend, and my sister had had him before this. So I knew of him, and I was actually warned, oh, wait till you get to high school, and if you ever have Mr. Haskell, forget about it. So he's so difficult. <laughs> so here I am. I get in his biology class, and you know I'm fooling around. I'm not paying attention, just making jokes all the time. Almost to the end of the, of the year, my guidance counselor says to me, you're going to fail Mr. Haskell's biology class. You better drop it. So I drop the class, and then the next year when I come back, now it's 10th grade, she says to me, it was only another one other biology teacher, Miss Frame. So she said, well, obviously, you're going to take biology again. You're going to take Miss Frame, right? And I said, no, I want to take Mr. Haskell again. She said, you're out of your mind. You had such a difficult time with him. I said, no, I just have a feeling I want to take him again. I choose him, and I'm walking down the hall. Next thing you know, I'm walking into the class, and he's, and he's stand, standing out there. He's like, Mr. Gabrielli. And I walk in the class. And it was magical, Robin. The whole year was like, I was like a student teacher. I knew the information cold. I think he had a certain respect for me for having the guts to take him a second time. And we had a ball. It was, it was incredible. I mean, kids were giving me their lunch money, basically, to help them through and, and get the, uh, you know, the information in the class because I knew it cold. I just didn't do the work, right? So we had a great year. And then we forged a bond that kind of lived on, you know, for years after that, you know, we're here, we're, we're talking about maybe six or seven years later, he writes me this letter saying, I, I heard that, um, you know, you were struggling and I have a solution. If you want to come over to, you know, this place in Nyack, you know, where you can get some help, no one has to know about it. And I, I was so profoundly touched by that. And again, I, I don't remember doing anything myself. It was just some divine intervention that his connection, and I think the letter he wrote me gave me some kind of value in myself. And it just kind of undid that trauma just in one fell swoop. In your book early on, you share a quote by Vera Azarian. And I'd like to share it because it sounds like this is exactly what just happened to you in, in, in that point in your life. Sometimes we begin a journey by reaching out to others. And sometimes it's about somebody else reaching their hand out to you. Now, clearly I didn't get the quote exactly right, but obviously the essence of it. And uh, it seems like that letter was that man's hand out to you. 100%. And, and you know, it's funny because not only on the envelope, but in the letter itself, it was written in a couple of different ink colors. So there were black, there was black ink, mm -hmm. then blue ink. So I think in my mind, I kind of assumed that he 
was writing it over time. It didn't just happen in one second. He, he was thinking about it. So I think what it told me is that he was taking a big risk because like everyone else who had told me to straighten out, I just tuned them out. And a lot of people I just basically wiped out of my life. Mm. Uh, that's the nature of addiction. So he took a chance and it worked. So I think that each of us uh, every day has hundreds of different opportunities to reach out and also to grab a hand if someone reaches out to us. I, I've, I've often used this metaphor in, in some of the work I do. Picture yourself on a staircase and you are on the fourth step. And it's a wooden staircase going upward. And so whenever you meet someone, they may be on the step above you. They may be on the step below you. And so we're always uh, figuratively either reaching up to get a hand to the next step or reaching back to help someone else up to the step that you're on. What I often tell people, you know, I'll just use you as an example. If I help you up to the step I'm on, I'm just going to let you know ahead of time, I'm not going to stay there with you. I'm going to go up to the next step so as to prompt you to continue moving forward. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like a little push. Yeah. So what happened after that letter? Did you take this gentleman up on his offer to help you to go to rehab? Didn't have to do anything. I just, you know, never touched another drug at that point. And it was, uh, you know, I just met my wife about a year later and my path changed completely in life. And then oddly enough, we had our first son and we were down at his beach house in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. And I think it's about, let's see, if I do the math, one, six, maybe about 10 years later or so, we're body surfing. Him and I are in the ocean body surfing one day and I catch this huge wave and and he was about, I guess, maybe 30 years older than me. So I'm like 40 something years old. I'm, I'm 40, he's 70. And we I catch this wave and I'm go crashing into the sand, whooping it up. And I turn and I'm looking for him and I don't see him. I look out and he's floating face down in the ocean. So I swim out to him, grab his lifeless body, put him on the shore. He was paralyzed from the neck down. All he could do was just blink. Paramedics come, they resuscitate him. And, you know, they bring him to the hospital. And uh, I thought he was dead. And, uh, and that night when I, when I was by his bedside, I held his hand and I, leaned over and whispered in his ear, now we're even. And tears just, you know, rolled down his cheeks. We had never spoken about the letter he wrote. And then after that event, we had never spoken about that incident in the ocean. And we just lived, he lived another, I think, maybe 15 years after that. And we never talked about either event. Wow. Wow. That's remarkable. In your book, it sounds like this has to do with the energy of connection. And in your book, you do talk about the energy of connection. Could you talk about that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah. So, you know, as a kid, I was like an inventor. I always dreamt of inventing things. And and so one of the things that I always fantasized about was a perpetual motion machine. Because as a science geek, I thought, well, if I could create something that would literally continue fueling and propelling itself, it would be awesome. It's every inventor's dream. So I speak about the currency of connection as this energy, almost like a perpetual motion machine or or a tree Mm. that provides its own sunlight, its own water, its own air, and its own love. And so it just kind of grows by having this 
energy. And so I use the, the currency of connection as an example of this type of energy. So when we form connection, when we offer connection, when we reach out, even when we ask for connection, I think it's probably even more powerful if we ask for connection mm. rather than offer it. Magical things happen because most people are much more willing to give and it's easy for us to give than to ask. Um, I think the metaphor for uh, how energy plays into it is that we have this interchange. We're all really connected in an invisible way. And uh, actually the hearts speak to each other. There's a, a science called cardio neuroimmunology. And it says that our hearts are speaking way before we even see each other in a room. So if I'm about to enter a room before I even get there, my heart energy, which is 600 times more powerful than the brain energy, is actually reaching out and communicating with your heart ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have vibrations. We call it vibes. When we meet someone, we feel something right away, positive, negative, but our hearts are speaking before our minds and our brains even get a chance to talk. Wow. Wow. And it, and it seems that that is exactly what happened with you and your friend, Noel. There was no need for discussion. He lent out his hand. You took it blindly and faithfully. And probably because there was that established level of trust and bond that you had formed back in high school, you know, you became friends and, and then you were able to return the favor. He was a wise man and he just knew so much about so many different things. And, and he was also willing to share that information. So he was someone who always, uh, you know, gave advice. He, he really lived life to the fullest. He, he was a joy seeker and he was very, very helpful to a lot of young people. So he really did, you know, teach. So he, he was more than uh, a teacher. He was really like a guide and a life messenger mm -hmm. because he had had so much, so many experiences himself. And he was always willing to share that. And, and he really enjoyed people's life force. When you were on this path of self-destruction after your father passed, did you at any point realize that your own well-being was breaking down? Um, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I actually wanted to die because I wanted to go with my father. I felt a pull to... You know, I, I, I believed that if I died, I would go with him. I would be with him again. So it felt like the only way to fill this void was to basically die and follow him. So it was it was definitely a it was not only a subconscious death urge, but it was a conscious death urge. I drove as fast as I could. I partied as hard as I could. I did all the things to try to kill myself. Hmm. And this one letter really altered the state of your well-being, but also the trajectory of your life. Yeah, and I would say that, you know, right now, mental health is such an important piece. And I didn't even know that it existed until my father died. I didn't understand. Uh, I was brought up, you know, just be tough, suck it up. We never had a mental health discussion. We had physical health discussions. But even that was just keep working hard and you'll figure it out, you know, hit your head against the wall enough and you'll win. So that was the first time I ever encountered a mental health issue. And I didn't know it at the time. And I didn't know that I was trying to fill the void with all these substances. 
mm-hmm. and the behaviors. But then it was five years later that I kind of woke up because of this, uh, this action that, that Noel took. But also what continued after that and up until today is a life of trying to be more aware of mental health and, and, and that it's really the beginning of our health. And then all of the other things come after that because our, our mind mm. is, is, uh, is the governor of everything that we think. Mm. The thoughts become feelings, become emotions, become actions. And so we've really got to get a handle on that. So, you know, that would be my message is your mental health is, mm-hmm. is critical. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think your story really also underscores how significantly intertwined connection and mental health are. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, I think I talk about it in the book. There's a study about the uh, the mice, right? And the, the rats. In, in oh, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. When they're in community, they don't even want, you know, there's a bottle of heroin in there. They don't even drink the heroin water when they're in community. But when they're left alone, they'll drink it until they die. And so, you know, it's a perfect metaphor for feeling lonely and alone mm-hmm. in the world, you know, it, it, it can cost us our lives, basically. Isolation and loneliness is, I think, the darkest place to be. And so the currency of connection is just the opposite. It can help us with getting out of isolation. So, And I also think one of the hardest things to do is make a decision to find connection. And we see it at all levels of our lives. I, nobody I know is immune from either losing connections or losing themselves. Uh, and and finding it difficult to make new connections or friends or, mm-hmm. you know, find people that they can trust. You know, as we said earlier, reaching out to others to help them, I think, is the best prescription. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was a really incredible conversation. And uh, I really hope that our listeners that it resonates with them and, and uh, you know, might provide support to people or or inspiration and and people think more wisely about connection, connection with others and reaching out if they need connection. So thanks very much. Thank you, Robin. So thanks very much, listeners. We have just finished our very first episode of the Health Ability Project. We hope you like the show. Please share us, like us, and tell your friends about us. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks very much, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today at the Health Ability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests, to thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. And please like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends. 